Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 169 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being here this week, and thanks for tuning into the podcast. Now this week we are chatting XC Racing, and we have Australian XC MTB champion on the podcast, Rebecca McConnell, or Beck as she likes to be known. Now it was awesome to get Beck on the show because I haven't really chatted that much about XC and whether you're into it or not, it does play a massive part in the mountain bike industry. So it was great to get Beck on and have a chat. Now Beck is an elite team rider for the Mondrager X Sauce team and placed third in both the 2019 and 2020 World Championships, plus winning the Under-23 World Cup back in 2013, and loads of other awesome results. Now, Beg is from Canberra, Australia's capital city, and I've had a couple of other guests on the show previous from Canberra, and it really is a mega for mountain biking. And we chat to Beck about that, what it was like growing up in that area, and how it has helped her become a professional XC racer. We also chat to Beck about how that journey all started in the highs and lows of being a professional athlete, a professional mountain bike racer, and how she has fought her way to be at the top level over the last couple of years, plus much, much more. It was a really good insight for me and how the XC thing works and how competitive it is and how they kind of train and what they go through to be at the top. And it's more than just pushing out miles every day. You know, these courses and trails are getting more technical every year. We chat to Beck about that and she explains to us about all that kind of stuff. Plus the bikes she's riding and how the Mondrecker brand has really helped her and how she really loves the, the bikes she's on at the minute and that whole team environment and everything. So we get into all that, but I will stop talking now and I will let Beck come on and tell us more about it. And welcome back to the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi Beck, welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. How's things in Australia? Hey Gareth, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's super good. It's warming up here and yeah, everything's going going good here in Oz. Yeah, cool. And and before we hit the record button there, we were just chatting a bit about Canberra and I was telling you I had a couple other guests on the show from Canberra and it seems to be quite a, a bike mecca there. Like how popular is things there? Yeah, absolutely. Canberra is super popular for mountain bikes. It's, you know, it's a bike friendly city and we have so many different areas we can ride mountain bikes and road cycling. So yeah, it's it's really popular among cyclists and mountain bikers. Yeah, it's cool. And and I was saying to you, my geography, I thought it was okay, but Canberra's the cap- capital of Australia, and I'm like everybody else. I thought it was Melbourne or Sydney or somewhere. Um, so it was quite, <laughs> it was quite interesting to find that out of Mick uh, Longhurst, who was on the show previously. Um, but you're inland a wee bit there, right? You're not on the coast or anything. Yeah, we're just tucked away, you know, one and a half to two hours away from the coast, just far enough to keep all the riffraff out and, you know, keep our little <laughs> capital city nice and quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, that's classic. I suppose you get all the guys coming up with their flashy cars and their very expensive bikes up there at the weekends and stuff, do you? Oh, for sure. We have a lot of public servants here, so, you know, there's no shortage of um, money generally. But, yeah, I think... Um, it's probably not the most trendy place to be. All right, right. Okay, cool, cool. Well, brilliant. Thanks for coming on. We'll, we'll chat to you because you're a UCE, or UCI elite uh, XC racer. Um, you're also the Australian XC MTB champion. We'll get into all that, all that good stuff. Um, the XC thing, I must admit, I'm not 100% switched on to because – to me, it just looks too grueling. It's just too difficult. <laughs> so <laughs> I tend to stay away from that. But we'll get into all that. I'd love to hear more about it. Um, but can we chat a little bit about your background? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I would just like to know like, how you get into the mountain bike scene. Like, what attracted you to it? 
I guess it's it's the same as so many people. I think just the people around me, um, my brother and my dad had mountain bikes and, you know, I was just a really sporty kid um, and then I just followed them into the sport and they kind of encouraged a little bit, pushed me into the racing and then I I just loved it and, you know, I think I've always stayed because of people and it's just a really cool um, community to be a part of. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of the whole scene, isn't it? Like, our community here is really good. Any body I've been speaking to from Nepal to wherever the scene just seems to be so good and the people involved seem to be quite friendly like is it the same for you there in Canberra yeah for sure I think like mountain bikers in general are quite a relaxed um bunch of people and there's it's just a sport that offers something for everyone I mean you know you can be an elite downhill or cross-country racer or you can just ride on the weekends because you like it and you know there's a level for everyone that you can be challenging and can be enjoyable and I think that's why it's such an inclusive sport Mm, yeah for sure like and what age did you get into it can you remember oh it was I got my first my own first bike um for Christmas when I was 10 but I was already you know sort of into it before then but yeah I had to had to wait till then to get my first real mountain bike. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> and your parents raced and your your brother, you say, did they race competitively or was it just more of a weekend warrior kind of thing? Uh, for sure they were competitive. Um, yeah. You know, my dad is still competitive, especially with me. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I'm a family of four kids, but, yeah, my dad and my brother were you know the ones that I spent a lot of time with riding and yeah it was always a little bit little bit competitive yeah yeah and were they into the XC scene as well yeah for sure we've only sort of really been in the XC scene um you know when I first started riding there was downhill but there was none of this enduro business and Mm. you know you either rode cross-country trails or you were a downhiller so what pushed you towards the XC then um I think You know, I was doing cross-country running and I was always, like, active and I think, um, you know, I think I'm I'm very competitive. Um, So, yeah, I think it just really appealed to me and, you know, a lot of that, it sounds silly, but a lot of the appeal is, I think, pushing yourself to the limits and and the work that is involved physically, um, you know, is, is a big part of it. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it does seem grueling. You know, when you're watching the UCI, the XC stuff on on Red Bull TV or whatever, it's it's just, it's amazing. Like, it just seems so, so difficult. When you started out, was there many girls taking part of your age? Was there, like, a small community of girls into it and, and racing together and stuff? Yeah, um, not so much where I was from. I think, you know, for the longest time I was the only young girl racing basically around Oz so I would race with the boys a lot um but yeah we do XE and Downhill are both on Red Bull TV which is amazing because it you know it it brings the sport to the people and to the young girls and I think in Oz now the categories are quite deep um as far as the young women go so I think you know that's really working but yeah for me I definitely lacked um girls to ride with but I think that also helped me you know lift my level a bit trying to keep up with the boys yeah for sure who's more competitive the girls or the boys um (laughs) it's just different I guess I mean when you're racing you know the top level in the women they they are super competitive and um yeah it's really tough yeah I'm sure it's I think at that level you have to be competitive because obviously if you're not you wouldn't be at that level um, even when you're quite young like that's the thing you know when I was growing up I can't remember it being that competitive to be I, I came from BMX background and I can't remember it being that competitive um, but now when I chat to anybody about their, their upbringing and their background it just seems to be so competitive the young ones it's just the, the skill level is just so much higher like when you see the young ones coming through now do you notice the skill level higher or the commitment is 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 more there like how do you see it now as, as the young ones coming through yeah i 
I agree with you. Like, I was super competitive, but, you know, my family kept it really fun all the time and, you know, we obviously raced hard, but, um, you know, the the young riders now are much more serious than I was at that age. Um, you know, they, they're really focused on their training and they um, already have coaches and, you know, they're, they're doing all the things right that I was at that age, I was just riding my bike. So I think, yeah, mm. you're right. Like, and the equipment is also at a higher level. So the skills are much higher as well. And I think, yeah, the s- sport in a whole has grown a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. It's so good to see the young ones coming up. Like it's, it's awesome to see that you need the youth there for the, the whole thing to, to work down the line, but it's, it's so great to see it. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, yeah, like mountain biking is still, you know, a relatively young sport. Um, so yeah, it's, it's super exciting to see all yeah. over the world and, you know, more countries participating as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, just one thing I'm, I'm interested about or, or keen to know, do you have at the school level there, do you have any bike classes that you kind of do in PE time and stuff like that? No, here in Oz, um, like our development as far as mountain bike goes is well behind, um, you know, the way it is in Europe and North America. Um, we don't have, I mean, there's a few like schools champs that have started in recent years. Um, but yeah, it's, when I went to school, it was considered too dangerous to include as a school sport. Um, Mm. and a few schools have progressed past that, but yeah, generally it's like everybody that is into it is into it, um, you know, through their families or their friends and it, it doesn't yeah. seem often to come from the school groups. Yeah, it's interesting because I sometimes wonder how people fall into the mountain bike scene because, like you say, it's not included in the school and you have so many other things going on and so many other sports going on in the school. It's quite difficult for somebody then to fall into the mountain bike thing and really concentrate 100% on that. Um, and you're right, I think it has to come from the family side. Otherwise, you just don't really do it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, unlike sports, um, you need equipment, and you know equipment costs money and um, and maintenance. Whereas you know if you if you want to run, you just need a set of running shoes and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I never actually thought on the equipment side of it. Yeah, but very, very true. Now, can you remember your first race? Oh, vaguely. I only remember being actually forced into it by my family um, but, but by the end loving it <laughs> yeah it's funny that there's so many so many people are like that they kind of do it because their dad was racing or something so they just go and race and then they're hooked did you get that feeling did you get that hooked kind of feeling yeah I mean I was always riding with dad um but I think I was just super intimidated by racing I mean it was just a local club race but you know there was the local pros were there and I think I was just so intimidated and daunted by the whole experience. But once I got going, I, you know, as they said, I would, I loved it. Yeah. Do you know how you got on? Uh, I don't, I, I was probably the only young female at the event. So I think I would have just been cruising along with whoever, whoever else was around me. (laughs) Cool. All right. So when did you, When did you get the realisation or when did you think to yourself that you wanted to make this into a career and become a professional mountain biker? Uh, For me, there was no, like, defining moment. Um, You know, I was into it um, through high school and, um, you know, I just was – it was just a progression. Like, you know, I would set a goal to, you know, go to national champs and then – as I got older, I think, you know, when you're 16 or 17 is the first time you're able to race world champs as a junior. And I think, you know, I got a taste for that. And then I went overseas a few times and um, it wasn't until 2011 when I'm like, when I thought that I could be a professional and um, Yeah, the I guess got me into the sport and kept me in the sport and I had, you know, some a lot of friends that I could ride with on the weekends and yeah, I think without the club it would be a very different story. Yeah. I think at an early age it's very important to have 
friends that ride around the same age as yourself. Um, and I think the club environment gives you that. Did you did you find that, and did you find that was was really helpful in, in letting you progress to, to a better level, a higher level? Yeah, for sure, because I think that's something that's super cool about mountain biking. You're basically just riding with your friends. And, you know, like you're getting this training in that you don't realise because you're just having a great time. Um, you know, at the same time around when I was getting into mountain biking, I was also – you know, a little bit serious about my, my running and I hated it because the coach was super serious and super strict and I was just a kid. Um, so I think, mm. you know, clubs keep it fun and they teach you so much like, you know, on the bike and off the bike. And I think, you know, they're crucial to, to keeping young kids in the sport. Yeah, definitely. And I think, that, like you say, is, which is very, very true and I totally agree, is about keeping it fun at a young age. Because sometimes it's too, if it's just too, too strict, it, it, it can put kids off and they tend to back away. Um, and if you come up in that environment, it doesn't last. Once you get a bit of freedom, you get your driving license and you realize, yeah. you know, <laughs> you sometimes can kick your heels up. Um, so that's, that's important. Now, can you remember, because for us weekend warriors, trying to think of being a professional mountain biker like a lot of us probably secretly would love to be a professional mountain biker but uh can you remember the time or, or was was there a time when you sat down and you actually said to yourself i am a professional mountain biker like can you remember that and like how did you feel yeah it was it was a good feeling um you know i signed at the end of 2012 um signed a contract with Trek Factory Racing, um, which was like a huge deal. I was 20 years old um, and had just like a tree, achieved like a pretty big dream, um, mm. you know, and at the same time my husband, he's my husband now, but boyfriend at the time, you know, he signed together at the same time with the same team. So, you know, we were just in another world. We were just super happy and I think um, – yeah, it was such an amazing and memorable moment. Yeah, yeah, it must be. It's cool that you can actually remember that, you know, that you can look back and, and remember how you were feeling then. Like, it wasn't a scary thing or anything for you. You didn't think, oh, I'm signed to this major team and now I'm going to have to perform. And was there any thoughts like that? Yeah, for sure. It was, it's a bit unique for us. Um, you know, coming from Oz, it's super hard to become a professional Um in Europe and um, Dan and I only the current only cross-country professionals from Oz um, so you know a lot of the Euro riders are pro or on teams you know out of juniors and it took us you know many many years more than that to be to make that step and I think you know we just knew that it would be you know game-changing for for our careers and you know of course it's it's intimidating and we were super nervous to go to the team camp and mm. go to the races with them in the beginning. But, um, you know, it, it was a big, um, like stepping stone in, in what we could achieve. And I think, you know, we just embraced it with everything and enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's very, very different. Um, like how did your dad and your parents and stuff feel about you turning pro? I'm sure they were absolutely stoked. <laughs> yeah my family always play it pretty cool um <laughs> but yeah I think you know there's only so far like you know you can support yourself and your and your family can support you from from Oz um as far as you know racing you know it's it is a European based sport and um you know so I think it just kind of opened all of our eyes to to the possibilities and that you know it is possible to do this full-time and professionally yeah, and I'm sure your dad takes a lot of the credit, right? <laughs> well, he doesn't think there's any credit to take still, so I'm working on him. <laughs> Classic. Um, so what's your lifestyle like being a UCA pro? Like, is it how you envisioned it many years ago when, when you thought about that as a kid, about being a professional? Um, I guess, like, as a kid, I never... I never dreamed of being a professional sportsman or like I never really thought that far ahead, but you know, in the years before becoming professional, um, I already kind of knew how it was going to be. And, you know, it's, there's 
so much travel and time away from home um, is probably, you know, the biggest factor. Um, but I was already prepared for that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a lot of hard work and, yeah, many, many hours and discipline, which has been something that I've had to grow over the years with. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, from us guys watching it on Red Bull TV and stuff, um, you know, may it be the downhills or the enduro or whatever, it seems we only see you standing on the podium. You know, we don't see everything that goes into that and the many years of prep and training and, and getting to that stage. So I suppose for you, it kind of feels just like the next step forward. Um, whereas to us guys, we just see you celebrating and holding up trophies and stuff like that and all the good times. We don't see all the hard work and sweat that goes into it. Um, and I'm sure you knew that was all involved. Obviously, you were doing all that beforehand. Has it changed since you've been a professional? Has the ante been up? Do you have to train more? Like, what's your schedule like now? Yeah, it's it's just a progression. Like, every year, you know, you have to reassess what you're doing and what's working and what's not working. Um, but, yeah, for sure, I think, you know, like you say, we're working behind the scenes nonstop and, you know, you can be a top 10 rider and people don't really notice you and then, you know, you get your first podium and suddenly people are like, who are you? And you're like, well, I've been here the whole time, but, you know, yeah. just kind of flying under the radar and I think – you know, everybody is working super, super hard and then, yeah, you do, you get a, a couple of podiums and then suddenly if you don't get one, people are like, what's happened? Or, you know, there's the, people expect a lot very quickly um, once you can, once you show what you're capable of. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's that consistent hard work um, mm. and, you know, just keeping – keeping it going even when your motivation isn't um, absolutely soaring. Yeah, for sure. And, like, you know, for yourself, what what do you think the difference is between, you know, let's say the top ten in the world and the rest of the, the field? You know, in a lot of sports there seems to be just something with maybe five, six individuals that they just seem to have that that little something more. What do you think that is? Can you put your finger on that? Oh, I think it depends on every rider. Like there is so much to it, especially in a sport like mountain biking. There's so many variables. And I think, you know, there's a lot of things that can impact you, you know, from coaching and teams and where you're from, um, you know, really – changes your opportunities but you know I think there's something that everyone at the top has and yeah it's it's difficult to put your finger on it but it's that I think it's that determination and maybe belief um and just Mm. consistency but everybody has a little has something different that is what gets them to the top I think um you know for me it's different to what it is for some of the other girls yeah it's so it's so difficult, right? You know, because we've found over the last number of years, there seems to be such a big mental thing involved in it, obviously, you know, um, but self-belief and vision and visualizing it all, that seems to play such a part in it uh, and your motivation and, and everything else. Do you struggle with that kind of thing or do you find that quite easy to stay motivated and, and, and keep the vision of, of what you're trying to achieve? Um, I think, you know, for me, motivation is not too hard to come by most of the time. Of course, I mean, I struggle with it often. Um, but, you know, in the last few years, I've really found that I've been able to keep my training consistent despite the motivation. Um, but I think, you know, something that's becoming new to me is racing at the front. And, um, you know, in the last two seasons, I lacked that confidence and and experience of racing at the front so you know I watch back some of the replays of the races and you know there's so many like amateur mistakes that I made just from the lack of experience and I think you know I see some of the people I'm racing at they're just oozing confidence and that's not me and I've never been someone who's oozing confidence um so that's something I have to work on is you know just a little bit more self-belief, um, you know, in those situations where sometimes I think 
maybe I'm not quite at that level or not quite good enough or maybe intimidated by some of the people around me. So, yeah, we, we all have our little little demons to battle and things we need to work on. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's just been able to deal with those when they arise and, and knowing what to do and how to best get through that kind of thing. I suppose, you know, being on a good team, and we'll chat about your Mondragor team in a wee bit later, but being on a good team and all helps with all that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. I think the team environment is is a big deal. I mean, you know, you can be in a team where, you know, it can look great from the outside, but things in the team aren't good. And, you know, like everyone loves you when you're winning races and you're performing, but, you know, it's being around people who love you when you're not performing and you're not winning races. I think that is what, you know, really puts you in a good, comfortable and happy environment. And I think that is what gives you the, you know, the, ability and the, the room to mm. do you do your best racing yeah yeah for sure will we chat racing sure <laughs> <laughs> no i want to ask you um how did you feel after winning the under 23 world cup in 2013 yeah that's gee that's going back a ways now um <laughs> It was that was really special for me. Um, you know, in the years before, um, I'd been on the podium a few times, but not been able to get that win. And then, yeah, as I said, that was my first year with Trek Factory, and you know, so to kind of pull all that together, um, winning a couple of World Cups and the overall in your first year as a pro is, you know, it's such a memorable year, and mm. um, you know. For a lot of people, under 23 doesn't seem like such a big deal. But, you know, when you're in there and, you know, you're still racing with the best of your age, um, yeah, it's still one of my fondest memories. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sure that was a massive accomplishment for you. And I'm sure that helped you kind of move forward as far as confidence and motivation and everything else goes. Yeah, for sure. Every um, exposure to those kind of experiences really helps you grow as an athlete and you know you don't really realize it until you're drawing on it in in years to come and I think you know you have to learn how to win a race before you can win a race so you know these opportunities under 23 I think really help you build and learn um for you know things you don't even know are going to happen um in the future yeah super super important um now can we chat about your 2018 year because I know it was a difficult year for you, and we'll go on to the we'll go on to last year, two thousand nineteen, because I know you know you had some amazing results then. Um, can you tell us what happened in two thousand eighteen? Do you want to chat about that? Yeah, sure. It's, yeah, it's it's actually like a I'm more than open about it. It's a it's a pretty big year um, personally for me. So yeah. Had you an injury, or what happened to you? Um. So. The, kind of the backstory is um, at the end of 2016, our contracts weren't renewed um, with Trek Factory. That was both Dan, my husband, and myself. And mm-hmm. so in 2017, we um, took on the World Cup Series fully self-funded privateers um, again for the whole you know, and it was absolutely exhausting. And then... Um, uh, we got married at the end of 2017 and, you know, life was just like pretty full on at that time. And, you know, we kept the training going and um, the motivation was still super high. We just signed with Prima Floor Mondraker for the 2018 season. So, you know, it was hectic, but everything was super good. And um, I continued to train as normal. And, you know, over the course of the whole season, I was just um, – not going that good and I had a new coach um for a couple of months there and it just wasn't working and I was just um constantly tired and you know we weren't communicating well and um yeah I ended up stopping racing world cups mid-season I was just absolutely exhausted and I couldn't um barely function let alone race and um, I had three months totally off the bike and just um made the call to stop racing for 2018 Mm, okay yeah and i suppose you know your body better than anybody else so 
you could tell. And I think, you know, with yourself funding yourselves over 2017, obviously, you're keen to do well and you're keen to to do something in that scene. So it wasn't a commitment kind of thing. You you knew that things just weren't going well and you had to stop. Yeah. Like, yeah, there was no doubt in my mind that um, this is what I wanted to do. I think, you know, losing your pro contract makes you realise these things pretty pretty hard and fast. And, um, you know, it just drove me to be more motivated. Um, but, yeah, it was – it was super tricky because, you know, we'd I'd been with the team like a couple of months and then I had to tell them that I just couldn't keep going and that's a that's a super hard conversation to have, um, mm. you know, if you've been there for years. But when you're just just starting out with them, um, yeah, that, that was really hard. Um, but they took it really well and continued to support me. Um, and, yeah, I think... Yeah, it's it, like you think you know what's best for your body, but there's so much doubt as if this is the right thing to do and should I, shouldn't I? But yeah, it it was the right thing to do. Yeah, and do you think with you having the new coach, it just wasn't certain how you would normally do things? It it just wasn't working for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he had a tough gig. He got me when I was probably already um, pretty cooked. Um, but yeah, he'd sort of seen the level that I could ride. And I think he was looking at me like with so much potential, but what's going on. And, um, yeah, he, he worked me too hard for what I could do at the time. And, you know, Dan had been coaching me for, for years and years before. And then, you know, it seemed a good time to make the change. Um, but yeah, it turned out to be a, a total disaster, um, and yeah, a few months later, we we went back to coaching with Dan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's well. You know, fair play to you to actually stand up because it was a, it was a difficult situation. You had a new team, and you know, they, you were obviously trying to do good stuff for them, etc. So, fair play to you to actually put your health before everything else. You know, I think I think if you hadn't have done that, you may you may actually have wrecked yourself or not been able to ride, you know, to compete at that level again. So, um, and I'm sure your dad was there supporting you through all that as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like it was a hundred percent the right thing to do. And I think everybody around me, including the team were a hundred percent supportive. Um, you know, it was just, I guess it was up to me to make that decision because no nobody else can make that for you um and they have to support you either way but yeah I think the support of both my family and the team at that time was essential really yeah yeah that's when you need people like that for sure around you so let's jump on to the 2019 season because you got back on your bike obviously and uh, started racing and you had a really really good season can you tell us a little bit about that season yeah it was a bit surreal um you know, I went into it in my typical way of lacking confidence and I remember turning up to the first World Cup and I said to Dan, I don't know if I'm ever going to make it back to the top ten. Um, and then, yeah, the first World Cup, I finished eighth, which um, in itself was amazing, but I, with, you know, half a year or almost a year of no racing, I had um, no UCI points, so I was starting at the back. Um but, yeah, that was enough to get me back in the mix. And then, yeah, by the second World Cup, I got a second. And I think that's really when we all started believing in me again. And, yeah, the season turned out to be super consistent and finished with a bronze medal at Worlds. So, yeah, it was it was a dream season. Yeah, wow. that That's crazy. And, like, when you say you had no UCA points, so you're starting at the back of the pack. So you got to move your way up through the pack pass a lot of racers and I'm sure it's more difficult from that scenario as it would be starting near the front right yeah for sure it's that's cross-country racing you know there's eight to a to a line on the grid at the start and you know I was starting oh outside the top 40 um I can't remember exactly where I think it was maybe 60s um so yeah it's it's not easy to to move up especially in the start and you know you can pass a lot of riders, but you'll never catch that time back to the leaders. So, mm. um, you know, it's 
there's a lot of credit to the riders that are starting in the back and have to fight fight their way forward. Yeah, for definite. Yeah, because you're so far back from the leaders, you'll never, even if you do the same time as them, you'll never catch them. Yeah, um, exactly right. Yeah, so that's very, very difficult. Like, after getting eighth in that first race, like, how how did that make you feel? How did your confidence, you know, improve after that, that you knew you could do this within yourself? Yeah, for sure. It definitely made me believe in myself again. Um, and then, yeah, I, I do remember a few days before the world, the following World Cup, which was just one week later, I wouldn't dare have said said it to anybody, but I remember thinking maybe, maybe on my day I could get a podium this weekend. And, and yeah, it, it worked out. And I think, um, you know, I don't often believe in myself like that before the race. So, yeah, it was it was really cool. It was a, it was a good time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, I don't want to say, but were, were you surprised at your results? Yeah, for sure. I think it's, you know, people were just, you know, again, like I said earlier, you know, you get a result and people think, where where have you come from? Um, you know, but, yeah, it did, it did draw a bit of attention because it was a bit of a comeback. Um, yeah, I think I reached the level that I was riding at in years past, I'd found a new level um, of what I could do. And, yeah, I continued to surprise myself the whole year. Yeah, yeah. And at the at the World Cup, at the second World Cup, you came second, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. Like, wow, that must be, that must feel amazing after having the season you had in 2018. Like, what did you do differently in 2019? Can you Can you put it down to a few different things? Like, that's the thing. Nothing dramatically changed. I think, you know, I probably became more clear with what I wanted and, um, you know, not letting people dictate what needs to be done or what's right for you. You know, I think, you know, as you mature as a person and as an athlete, you take more control of, you know, what you need, what's good for you and, you know, between myself and Dan, you know, like, I definitely can't take all the credit. Dan does so much to make this possible for me. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's coaching and whatever, um, and we train together every day. But, yeah, nothing dramatic was different. It was just, you know, consistency in, in training. Yeah, yeah. And does Dan still race, does he? Yeah, yeah. Dan's, Dan's still racing and he's part of the same team. Yeah. How did his 2019 season go? Uh, not as good as he would have liked. Um, you know, he is a former World Cup winner um, mm-hmm. and had been on the podium several times. So, you know, for him being in the top 20 is not not where he wants to be. And so I think, you you know, you're always going to be disappointed with results like that. But, um, you know, it's he's continuing to improve and, I, you know, he also hopes to find his level again. Yeah. Do you... Do you think it helps being married and doing the same thing and racing in the same team? Do you think it actually helps you? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it as especially when you're coming from Oz, we, we don't get to go home at the end of a race weekend. Um, you know, we're on the road for probably eight months a year. Um, and last year, the longest we were in one place was 10 days. Wow. To have somebody to do it with makes it possible. And I think, you know, there would be a huge amount of challenges associated with what we do if we were doing it individually. Yeah. Like that's a crazy schedule, eight months away um, and never really in one place that long. Like that in itself must be very, very draining. Do you enjoy that side of the thing? Um, I definitely enjoy getting home at the end of the season and, you know, I get to spend most of the summer at home. Generally, you know, January, January, February, we go to Spain. But yeah, we're we're always on the move, always on the go. And I think, um, you know, again, like being able to do that together is what makes it possible. I think it would be very lonely um, to travel the world by yourself 
for for the most part you you're meeting up with your team but you're always in a foreign location looking for training routes and yeah I think there's a lot of challenges that are made easier that when we can do it together yeah I'm sure I'm sure and I know to a lot of people that sounds like an amazing lifestyle you know traveling the world but it, it's not that once you do it for a while it gets it gets you know it just gets a little bit much and, and can become uh just living out of a suitcase can become very very difficult uh again though i suppose with you being with dan and having a good team behind you and stuff it, it makes it more like a, a traveling family almost right <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it does get really hard because you miss a lot of things that go on at home without you. And, you know, we both have nieces and nephews and they, they're growing up so fast and, you know, like we're really family people. And, you know, so to see life go on without you at home is, is often quite challenging. Um, but, yeah, we have pretty good perspective, I think, about, you know, just appreciating the opportunities that we are constantly involved with and you know like traveling all the time overseas is it really is amazing like you know it is challenging um and it's not always how it looks on instagram or what it's cracked up to be but you know on the whole it's it's the lifestyle we've chosen so we obviously obviously love it enough yeah 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 definitely um like how do you find the courses big do you think the XC courses have changed over the years you know because we always chat about this in the podcast with one guest to another and how enduro courses are getting closer to downhill stuff and how everything seems to be getting very close like do you think the XC stuff's got more difficult more steep how do you feel about that yeah for sure the sport has been like evolving fairly quickly um you know when I first got into it the laps were really quite long there were maybe eight or more before I started, um, you know, and they weren't very technical. They were just, you know, mountain bike started as more just off-road riding. And I, then, you know, in recent years it was getting super gnarly and um, they were, the courses were, you know, they made for TV and they were super intimidating and, you know, it felt like every weekend they were just pushing us to the limits of what we as XC riders could do on XC bikes. Um mm-hmm. You know, and that was before dropper posts were really a thing and even before most of us were racing on full suspension bikes. Um, so, you know, the bikes have had to grow with the sport and we as athletes have had to evolve um, with the courses and the technology that we're using. But, yeah, I think for a while it was getting super crazy, but it seems to have, you know, settled down a little bit in as far as like the risk taking goes and you know just more sort of showcasing the the technical skills I guess yeah yeah you know because watching a a video on YouTube and you done a you done a lap you took us around a lap of of one of the UCA courses and the downhills there are they're freaking downhill you know like you know I think when most people people that aren't into XC when they think of XC they think more of lots of miles and flat kind of ground but some of the some of the downhill sections you were doing are, are they were steep like you, you definitely you know you would need skills and that that kind of thing to be able to do that you know so it's it's not just as simple as getting on your hard tail and going like you guys are having to do some quite steep stuff as well yeah for sure and i think you know Cross country has this, you know, reputation that it's tame and it's not that difficult, but, you know, it's cross country World Cup racing and cross country riding are, you know, two very different things realistically. Yeah, um, yep. You know, and as the sport has grown, it's, you know, you used to be able to just be a good climber and if you could make your way down the hill, you'd be fine. Um, but races are won and lost, lost on the descents now and, you know, if you're not descending well or if you don't have skills or you can't ride in the mud, you know, you're just exposed straight away. And um, Really? Wow. You know, a lot of riders, you know, a little bit more old school riders who are super strong climbers, they're just not getting away with it the way they used to. Um, so, yeah, you have to be really well-rounded now. 
Yeah, wow, that's very interesting because from an outsider like me, you know, looking at XC, I would say you would have won the races on the climbs, you know, but that's where you make the time up is in the downhill sections. Well, it's just everywhere now. I mean, yeah. you just can't not be good at anything. Wow. And when you're training for that, Beck, how do you train for that? Do you do you session kind of downhill sections? Do you work on uphills or would you just go out and, you know, do a lap of something that has everything in it? Yeah, our training, I mean, every rider is different, but our training is super varied. I mean, I spend a lot of, like the majority of my training is done on a road bike. Um, but as far as mountain bike goes, here in Canberra, we're super lucky. I have so many different kinds of mountain bike to access but yeah it's it's practicing the rock gardens and you know for me it's following dan most of the time um and you know if you can't do something we have to look at it and see how you can do it and i think Mm. you know every time you're able to do something more um you know your confidence is growing and yeah it's i think it's just constantly staying sharp and making sure you don't neglect your mountain bike too much yeah yeah very very true uh let's chat a little bit about the 2020 season because it was a very different season for a lot of reasons um but you came third in the xeo world champs there as well so the 2020 season went well for you as well how did you find the season overall with covid and everything else yeah it was a strange one um you know it started off as usual um you know the early races in in Spain in January, February, and then we came home in March and COVID started and, Mm. you know, the motivation was still there um, as, you know, even when the Olympic Games got cancelled, I think that didn't really phase me too much and, you know, I continued to train over the whole winter, which was kind of a challenge in itself being the first winter I've experienced in about 10 years. Um, (laughs) But... Yeah, I think it was the big challenge was just watching one race, one World Cup after another falling off the calendar. And, you know, I did get to the point where I didn't really believe that the racing was going to happen. But, yeah, I somehow was able to continue, you know, just to keep the motivation pretty steady. And, um, you know, it was only maybe three or four weeks before – before travel that we actually booked the flights and that's when I started to believe that this could actually be happening this year. Yeah. And did you go into the 2020 season any different from your 2019 season because you had such a, such a success in, in the 2019 season? How were you looking at the 2020 season? It was just, for me personally, I really just wanted to prove to myself that it wasn't a fluke, that you know, the results I had in 2019 weren't just luck. Um, and, yeah, so I was just really determined to prove to myself I didn't really care about anyone else, just that this is the level I can ride at. Um, mm. And then, you know, I just felt that opportunity slipping away um, as the year went on. And, you know, it was 12 months between the last World Cup and the first World Cup of this year, and that's that's a long time to be wow without racing at the highest level and you know I could see people in Europe doing these other UCI races that I couldn't get to and you know that was super challenging but the approach was the same and you know to just believe in the things that worked and continue working um on those strengths and yeah it worked out so I can't complain yeah yeah I'm sure you were happy with it overall yeah for sure and I think just to be able to race in the end was such a privilege and you know like it was only two weeks and then we were back home but um you know we just did the best to to make the most of it yeah yeah cool cool no um can we chat about bikes of course um because i know you're on the mondragers and i used to sell mondragger so i know a little bit about them and i know I know how nice they are for a start. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> um, so you have, this is something that's quite interesting. So you have to decide against whether you ride a, a full sus bike or or a hard tail, um, depending on what course course you're on. So is that a difficult decision to to do that? Like, what 
what pulls you one way or the other on, on that kind of thing? Oh, that is, it's actually quite a complicated question now um, because what people maybe don't realise is we race two days before a World Cup race, we race a short track race, which determines our start grid position and it's more of a fast race where a hard tail is always going to be better. It's, you know, it's lighter and it's more explosive and, and fast, but, you know, then by two days before the race. Um, really? Which brings its own challenges because, you know, a lot of the time you, your bike choice might even be weather dependent. Um, mm. So, you know, this past World Cup I had wanted to race um, the hardtail had it have been dry, but if it was wet, I was going with the full suspension. But, you know, you're looking at the weather forecast two or three days out and you have to have to make a call um, that early. And, you know, so it's the bike choice is becoming super crucial um, at the moment. But, yeah, I think, of course, we choose course dependent and, you know, a lot of that depends on probably more how rough it is as opposed to how technical it is and, and how mm. much climbing is involved. Yeah, okay. So you would choose if if the course is rough um, with quite a lot of rock gardens, that kind of thing, you would tend to favour going full sus and helping you in that stuff rather than helping you on the climbs with a hardtail? Yeah, for sure. So... I mean, a course that has a lot of steep climbing is going to favour a hardtail. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, as we talked about, you you can't be falling behind technically, so you have to weigh up if the extra weight you're carrying or not carrying on the hardtail is is going to slow you down on the descent. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's always so much to weigh up, and each rider, you know, has different strengths and weaknesses. So we're choosing the bikes for different reasons and um you know even some riders are still not using dropper posts and you know so yeah the setup is super super important yeah and you're on the podiums um the mondragor podiums and that that hardtail is unbelievably light yes so we just got gifted the new um uh podium from mondragor and the hardtail is i think the lightest um production frame in the world so yeah that's the one i rode at worlds um this year and yeah it's it's just i mean they're both just amazing bikes and i think Mm. sometimes it's hard to choose because it's just a win-win um but yeah i think yeah you're right they are incredible bikes yeah like we had one of the f podiums in the store and it was top of the range kashima forks it had the bluetooth gearing all that kind of stuff i think it was twelve thousand euros and we sold it like within two weeks. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, they're unreal. And that was the full sauce. And oh, really, you could have picked it up and thrown it across the street. You know, it was that kind of light. I think it weighed nine kilos or something. Um, and the hard tails obviously are a lot less than that. Um, like, how do you find the bikes? How do you find the bikes to ride? Yeah, I love them. I think my realistically my go-to bike is the F-Podium, the full suspension. Um, you know, riding around Canberra is quite rough and, you know, you train so much, You a full suspension bike is a more enjoyable bike to ride. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's it's been a bike that just works really well for me. Um, you know, it's – for me, I really enjoy the stability that the bike gives me and not not all bikes are the same in that regard. Um, so, yeah, it's just I think, you know, the way I've been racing since I've been with them, um, yeah, I couldn't be happier. Yeah. And do you think do you think certain bike types suit your certain riding style? You know, so do you think that helps if you get a bike that suits your style of riding straight away and and you get onto the bike straight away do you think that actually helps you perform better yeah i think so i mean you know you know that mondraker are well known for you know their downhill and enduro bikes and i feel like that's really translated into their cross-country bikes um you know i have ridden a few different brands and i do feel that um the f podium is a rocket ship on the descents you know just it's a really good 
it gives you a good feeling and a lot of confidence to ride it on the downhills. I think it doesn't knock you around maybe the way some of the stiffer bikes do. Um, you know, you're not really – there's no weight penalty, but just the geometry of the frame um, mm. makes it really good on the descents. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what traveler are you using on that F podium? Um, just 100 mil. Right, okay. And is it the same on the hardtail? Yeah, yep. All right, okay. That's cool. Do you ride 29er? Yes. Is that for a speed thing or? Um, It's just the evolution of the bikes. I think there's still a few brands making 27.5 for smaller riders. Um, but And I have tested the 27.5 and, to be honest, I hated it. Um, wow. I felt like, you know, it just sort of pinged me everywhere and I think, you know, that's what I was talking about, the stability. I think um, it just suits my riding style. Um, it just gives me, I guess, the confidence to take on things that maybe I would otherwise be hesitant. Um, but, yeah, I think 29 wheels is a no-brainer. Mm, yeah. Are most of the field on 29ers then? Yeah, I think so. I I could only tell you maybe one or two riders who aren't using 29-inch wheels. Wow. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think that's the way the whole industry is going, to be honest. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think, yeah, maybe enduro and a few downhillers are still still sticking with the 27. Um, but, yeah, for sure, as far as trail riding, I think 29 is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. The mullet's getting very big in the enduro scene now and the downhill scene. So I don't know if that'll make its way to XC. I can't see it, but is that is that the the 29 front and 27 rear yeah yeah is that yeah i i i wouldn't want to bet against it but i can't see that happening in xc <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, i don't know it's fun it's interesting to see how it'll go if it's maybe just a phase you know what i mean uh, in two years or three years we'll not see it again you know that kind of thing but um it's been kind of behind hidden doors and the enduro and the downhill scene it's been happening for quite a few years but just nobody was talking about it nobody was saying anything you know so it's interesting it's interesting now um i know the spanish teams are, are cool and the mondraker teams are cool to work with and stuff so do you have to give feedback about the bikes uh, helping with future designs and stuff like that to they ask you for that kind of thing yeah, so I when I joined the team, they were prototyping the F podium, and there was, you know, I think there was quite a lot of development um, going into that. And actually, the second place in Novemesto was still on the prototype. Um, and then, yeah, by by the next World Cup, we had had the fully ready production um, F podium. But yeah, I mean. It was already well in production before I had joined um, joined with Mondraker, but yeah, right at right at the end, we were working with them um, until till the production was ready. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That must be quite a cool thing to do as well and be involved with. Yeah, I think you know, and like they're they're an amazing brand as far as you know their technology with their bikes, and I think. Um, you know, they they know what they're doing more than me, and I think you know sometimes I just feel feel lucky to ride them. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I remember chatting to a designer. Um we've got a I've got a good friend here who helped design some of the nook proof stuff that Sam Hill won the Enduro World Cup on and, and everything else like that, you know, so he's he's well in there and he was saying that to get a rider that gives you good positive feedback's actually very difficult. Um well not not so much positive feedback, but but good feedback on this doesn't seem right or this is good or this doesn't work. And he was saying that's very, it's actually very difficult to get a rider like that. So when you're doing that kind of thing, is there certain things you don't like or you would like to see different or certain things you really love that they have done? Do you kind of give them that feedback? Yeah, well, you know, as I said, they were like, it was well in the pipeline when I right, joined the right. team. And I think, you know, it's, that's why they have people working there to spend the time testing the bikes. I mean, you know, it's one thing to be able to ride a bike and say, mm, I don't really like it or I like this, but to be able to actually put your finger on why you do or why you don't like it, I think that's a real challenge in an art. And mm. 
I wouldn't claim that I can do that. Um, okay. You know, it's when there's so much going on between, you know, suspension and different like geometry of the bike. And I think, yeah, it takes someone special and someone good to, to be able to come up with the finished product. Yeah, I certainly can't do it. My response is, yeah, that's good. I like that bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. Uh, so before I let you go, Vic, uh, what's your off-season plans uh, and what's your goals for the 2021 race season? Finger crossed that happens, you know. Yeah, so um, I've just finished my five-week break with no training, um, which went too fast. But, yeah, I think 2021 is – it's not crystal clear for us exactly how it's going to be. Um, you know, it looks like things, you know, maybe they're not normal, but Europe seems to be kind of carrying on business as usual. Um, so it looks like there will be the World Cup season. Um, and, yeah, again, my goals are pretty similar to last year, just to stay consistent and and prove to myself again that, I can I can do it for another year. Yeah. And what about the Olympics thing? Is that happening or what's happening with that? Yeah, so from all reports, Olympics is confirmed to be going. Um, I think, you know, at this stage they don't know whether there'll be spectators or not. Um, and, yeah, obviously, like, that's the big goal for 2021. Um, but I'm not putting all my eggs in that basket. I think, you know, just consistency over the whole season and obviously to try to peak for that one as well. Yeah, yeah. And you have to do a test event for it, right? But I know you've done that in 2000. Um, you've done that in 2019. Do you have to redo that? or? No, so the test event is optional, um, but right. it's just it's your only opportunity to see the course um, before you go there um, for, the real, for the real race. And, yeah, we were all there in October last year. Um, and, yeah, so we'll all just turn up, I guess, a, roughly a week before and, you know, hope to get through again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where is it? Where is it going to be? Yeah, it's it's an hour-ish out of Tokyo. And, um, yeah, as far as the course goes, they've, they've set the bar pretty high again as far as wow. technical challenges. So, yeah, I think it it will be a good race to watch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that'll be amazing. Looking forward to that. Um, so, Beck, how can people best find you and find out what you're up to and get you on socials and stuff? Um, yeah, I'm just mostly on Instagram as Beck McConnell and, you know, obviously our team's PMX racing team. Um, so between those two, that's that's where you'll find me. All right, happy days. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing your story with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. And good luck for 2021. Um, I'm definitely going to get a wee bit more interested in the XC scene um, and uh, keeping top of things there. So it's been awesome to chat to you and find out a little bit more about it and, and what goes into the mind of, of somebody at your level, at the top level of racing it. And uh, are you ever going to go to Enduro or anything like that? Uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, the like you say, it's it's heading more towards downhill and they, you know, barely even pedal anymore so yeah no, I, I think I like to keep my body in one piece um for the time being <laughs> yeah yeah good stuff good stuff well listen thanks so much um uh, I know it's late there where you're at so um enjoy the rest of your evening anyway and um I'll, I'll be speaking to you in the near future awesome thank you so much Gareth that's a wrap for episode 169 and I hope you enjoyed that folks and I hope you took plenty from that and I just want to thank Beg for coming on the show telling us a little bit more about the XC professional circuit and how difficult it is because it certainly sounds difficult uh, but Beg, I want to say thank you and good luck for your 2021 race season I hope everything goes well so good good luck there now folks if you want to know a little bit more about Beg and what we chat about you can just simply go to the show notes imtb-tribe.com search for Beg's episode 169 and you'll get more info there you'll get links to her sponsors and links to her video stuff and everything else in there just quick and easy links for you to find out more now if you're enjoying the show and you want to show your support the best way is by subscribing rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts every one of your ratings helps boost us on apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people 
Now, if you're not on Apple, you can also find and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, or whatever podcast platform you listen to your shows on. Now, we also have a website that you can check out, mtb-tribe.com. You can find the complete back catalogue, listen and download every show. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the podcast. Now, you can also get involved on socials. We are at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. Or if you prefer to email me, you can find me at info at mtb-tribe.com. Thanks so much again, folks, this week for tuning into the show. I do appreciate your support and I do appreciate you just taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. So until next week, I will have another exciting guest. But as always, get the bikes out, hit the trails and stay MTV stoked. <laughs>